seemed like the deal was getting close. John Heyman of the MLB Network kind of indicated that it was getting close, and now Craig Mish confirms the Phillies and Real Muto. Five years, $115 million, and right now joining us on the phone to take a little look at this, how it's all going to work out, and what it means moving forward. Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad, covers the Phillies, and he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline is, of course, the Phillies. You know, Bob, it was, uh, you know, we were skeptical whether they were going to get this done when the offseason got here, but I guess you got to give them some credit for waiting this thing out. They uh, allowed them, you know, the 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 the, uh, the teams to kind of uh, – he didn't look get what he was looking for. That's obvious when he was when he got out on the market and the Phillies prosper here five years, 115. Yeah, it looks like uh, we lost Bob for a second there. We'll try to uh, get him back on the line and have him uh, give us his thoughts on this. And, of course, you know, we all were worried at the beginning of this thing that he wasn't going to sign. You know, the Phillies basically said, hey, and then he wanted so much money that it didn't seem – feasible. I don't know. Is this five-year 115? Do you feel comfortable with it? I do. I do. I think that it's a good length of time, you know, like considering his age right now, 30 to 35. Of course, the AAV is something that he was looking looking forward to, but I think they waited out the market. It benefited them. It benefits JT Real Mucho. I, I think it works for both parties. Yeah, let's get Bob in here and get his thoughts. Five years, 115, and we weren't sure that this was going to get done, but uh, the last couple of days, it seemed like it was going down this road. I know there was some maybe some agent talk with the Braves getting involved, but uh, when you look at it, good deal for both sides, you think? Yeah, it's a good deal for both sides. I mean, JT Romuto gets what he wants, uh, and the Phillies saved a few dollars in the process. You go back to what he was looking for and what we heard he was looking for back in August and July. We're, we're hearing a $160, $170 million deal over five, six years. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, that's, that's a deal that would have given me some pause. I know that we were all in the middle of uh, the hysteria of signing JT at all costs, but it does reach a point where it doesn't really make sense. At $115 million over five years, I think that still makes a lot of sense for the Phillies. And so not only do they save a few bucks in the process, but I think beyond what it means for 2021 in terms of being competitive and, and trying to make the playoffs, I, I think that there are some factors that are even more important, and, and namely keeping the, the big-time talent, specifically Bryce Harper, happy and I mean all you have to do is look across the street at what's going on with the Eagles right now and, and Carson Wentz and when you have highly paid players that are unhappy with an organization uh, it can cause chaos and if they would have let JT Real Muto walk I don't know what that would have meant for Bryce Harper and the relationship with this this team this organization moving forward so I think from a, a you know unity standpoint keeping people happy uh, within the organization, this was a really important deal for the Phillies to make. Record AAV for a catcher. Um, what's the message now? I mean, if you're, is this it? Like, hey, we we went a little bit more than like because they still need a shortstop. They want pitching, or they need pitching. They need bullpen. They need starters. So does this kind of change our mind on where the rest of this, you know, these next couple of weeks leading into spring training could take us? It's really hard to say. I mean, the problem is. is you step back and you just evaluate this division and the competition is just so good. I mean, the, the real Muto signing doesn't change the reality that the, the Mets are still outstanding uh, on paper, that the Braves are certainly outstanding on paper. And, you know, not to, not to be a, a Debbie Downer here, but, you know, this is still a key cog of a team that was basically 500, you know, over the last two seasons. So, it, it keeps the Phillies relevant. It gives them a chance. And I, I like some of the other moves that they've made, but does it really push them into a, a 
division contender at this point, I, I think that that's a stretch. However, I, I've said this a couple times. I, I know I've said it on, on this show with, with the both of you. I don't think that the Phillies internally are punting on 2021, but I don't think that they're all in for 2021. But what this move does do is I think it keeps them relevant. It gives them a chance. And I think that 2022, 2023 is when you're going to see this team really try to push again. And keeping Real Muto in the fold is going to keep them closer to to getting to where they want to go. It was a deal that they had to make. Um, And and not just for keeping people within the clubhouse happy, but just keeping this fan base happy. It's a huge ask to say, hey, we haven't made the playoffs. Heck, we haven't even been over 509 seasons. Now we're going to let one of our best players walk. It's just an impossible sell to the fan base. So in terms of brand, you know, keeping up brand recognition, keeping people happy, it was a deal they had to do. And, and not that I want to credit Matt Klentak. It would be the first time that I ever, I ever did that. But I do think you have to tip your cap to him a little bit and say, or the organization at large and say, hey, listen, at least they, you know, they didn't go in. They didn't spend $30, $35 million a year when they didn't need to. So in this case, uh, Philly's hesitance to, to go all in on Real Muto, it, it probably did save them a few million dollars a season over the next five years. The years on the contract was always going to be a concern for me. So when you see that he signed to about 35 years old with that type of money tied to him, how do you kind of view that? And I guess you can also throw in the fact that the DH news kind of is surfacing where, you know, if you thought, hey, maybe down the road he can play DH, I don't know if that's going to be, uh, you know, a reality. Yeah, you know, as far as DH goes, we just don't know yet. I mean, it, it seems like it's trending towards not happening this season, which I'm surprised by. But, you know, baseball, the, the owners and uh, the Players Association, they're going to get back together and have to hammer out a new CBA. And I would be stunned, uh, you know, a year or two out from now if we don't have a universal DH, uh, which would certainly help the Phillies in this case, uh, you know, keeping Real Moose's bat in the lineup and not having him have to catch 130 games to do it. Um, you know, 35-year-old catchers aren't going to be as productive as when they're 30, 31 years old. There's a little bit of risk in this, but he's a guy that keeps himself in immaculate shape. Uh, he's, he's a terrific athlete. Um, I would imagine that he will age in this deal a little bit better than, than maybe some of his uh, contemporaries would. Uh, I, I think that that's fair to say, but at the end of the day, you know, you have this guy, there's a lot of pressure to sign him, and Sure, would the Phillies love to have done a, a three-year deal with JT Real Muto? I'm, I'm sure they would have, but this is kind of the price you have to pay when you're when you're dealing with elite talent. Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad, covers the Phillies. So you mentioned it. They almost had to do this move. I mean, they, you had the, the newest, uh, you know, Archie Bradley comes in. He's not here for five minutes, and he's lobbying to bring this guy in. Um, but where does this put the Phillies? I mean, if you're saying, yes, we got JT, and you're spending a lot of money on a guy, does this make you – a playoff contender, or is this still a middle-of-the-pack, below-average team? Yeah, isn't that the weird thing? Usually when you do a deal like this and everybody's so excited, your immediate thought is they're a playoff team, you know, at the very least, you know, and and possibly a championship team. Uh, This feels a little bit weird in that way because you get this guy that you you really wanted to keep and everyone's excited, and and then you kind of take a deep breath and say, so now what? And, you know, if, if you evaluate this team and where it's at right now in relation to the rest of the division, I think it's a third-place team. You know, I, I actually do believe that they're better than the Nationals, um, and, and I think they're going to be better than the Marlins. I know the Marlins were a postseason team a year ago. Uh, I think that was a big product of, of a shortened season, and, and they just kind of did enough to get in. 
Um, I, I would say that the Phillies are ahead of those two teams. It's a, it's a stretch, though, to say that they've caught the Mets or that they've caught the Braves in doing this. Uh, they still would have some work to do there. I think that they would need another starting pitcher on the back end of the rotation to knock Vince Velasquez out. Uh, there's certainly at least one more bat in the lineup away, uh, whether that be uh, you know an outfielder or, or certainly a shortstop. They could still use some help there. I know people are kicking around in, in Dalton Simmons, and, and maybe they bring back D.D. Gregorius. But even still, I don't think that they're uh, better than those two teams. What it does for me is I think it, it keeps them in position where they can play competitive and meaningful baseball going into the second half of the season. I think that the team and the organization can kind of evaluate what the books look like at that point. Uh, you know, are fans in the stands? Can they add to their payroll beyond where they're currently at? Um, and, you know, maybe if they're within striking distance, they make a deadline deal, they improve the team uh, in, in the summertime, and, and then they make run at it. I, I think that at least what this does is it gives you a chance, you know? And, and so I'm not running to uh, your, your local legal sportsbook app to hammer the Phillies to win the NL East or anything like that, but I do think it gives a chance to be a playoff team and, and potentially do the things they need to do in order to get there uh, in the second half of the season. You mentioned the shortstop position. I just want to get your opinion. Would you rather have Simmons or Didi? You know, Didi gives you a little bit more power, but Simmons is great hitter for average, and he gives you the solid glove as well. Yeah, I have big concerns about the Phillies defense. I think it's one thing, and, and I don't know if we talked about this last time I was on, but I, I do have concerns about where the Phillies are at defensively, especially uh, in the infield. It's a below-average defensive infield, and Dalton Simmons would, would certainly – certainly help upgrade that I, I get the value and, and i get the validity in, in going after either guy at the end of the day i'm always an offensive first kind of guy um you know so i would i would prefer to see gregorius i was super impressed with him last year uh, that being said though if, if you can save a few bucks and, and you're willing to reinvest those savings somewhere else on your team whether it's another bullpen piece or maybe adding another starter and Simmons comes a little bit cheaper then then i I understand that and then would probably support it. But if you're simply doing it to save money and, and not reinvest the money, then, you know, uh, I would be so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I know um, a lot of people are, uh, you know, uh, we got people commenting up on the screen here. This move allows the Phillies to compete in the division uh, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I agree with you. They still need more. And if even if they bring back DD or bring in Simmons – that's not enough. I mean, they probably need another starter minimally and maybe two more bullpen arms, right? I mean, th this team's pretty far off from from for, for the rest of the teams in this division. But I guess the question uh, would be, um, do we feel comfortable that Dombrowski has maybe pushed them a little bit to say, look, this team is closer than you're giving them credit for? Yeah, I mean, you know, they hire them and, and maybe they do some internal evaluation of, of where their seasons have gone the last two years and why they faded down the stretch. And maybe Dave Dombrowski is an outside, well-respected voice, uh, certainly somebody that they believe in, says, hey, listen, you know, right. there's reason to believe that you guys are better than, than you've played the last two years. And maybe, maybe he's instilled some type of optimism within the organization to make John Middleton a little bit more uh, proactive, perhaps over the next month, you know, uh, before we really rev up into the – spring training calendar uh that's a possibility you know i don't expect anything substantial i do think they'll add a shortstop here but i wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do anything meaningful in terms of another back end of the bullpen piece or or a number three four type starter maybe that guy's out there maybe they snag a guy on a one-year deal at some value that could really help them uh, more of a creative type of deal but you know i i don't think that they have this other headline making deal in them and 
to be honest with you, I think that that's what it would take in order to, to make them a legitimate division contender, certainly. In the NL, you know, could they be a wild card team? Sure. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to, to rain on any parade here. I think it's entirely possible that the Phillies find themselves at 87, 88 wins and get into the playoffs this season. But as it stands right now, I mean, I think that that's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. I, I'm Look, I think it's a good deal. Five years for the catcher. I didn't want to see six. I think they got him at a good dollar value. They didn't go crazy like it was reported early. It's a good move for the Phillies. They're still a ways off this team. And uh, I'm interested – we're about, um, I don't know what, uh, less than a month away from pitchers and catchers, if that even gets off the ground. I guess that needs to be answered as well. But that's the deal. It's five years, $115 million. It's a record for uh, average catcher for the catcher position. Bob Wankel, crossing broad, joined us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Hey, Bob, thanks for jumping on on short notice, man. Appreciate it. No problem. I'll talk to you soon. All right. He'll be, uh, of course, on the Boardwalk Honda hotline, and we will uh, have Bob on throughout the baseball season. I know Frank Close is working on a piece for 97.3 ESPN.com right now. That's why um, we didn't catch up with him on that story as well. But you can get more details on this piece at 97.3 ESPN.com. What do you know? I'm super excited. I am. These are the kind of days you're like, you didn't come in thinking, and then I saw the story from Heyman today, and I'm thinking, okay. I just think this keeps it more interesting for this season, even though I don't think they're going to go win a championship. It it keeps me more engaged in the Phillies this summer, knowing that you know they have a, a better roster. I think a shortstop's coming soon. I really do. I do know this, though. Over at DraftKings Sportsbook, you have the opportunity to join their free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you can win the top prize of $1 million. So download the DraftKings app right now and use promo code 973 to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, when we come back, what happened with the Sixers last night? What message do we get from it? We will talk to national NBA writer, covers the Sixers for CBS Sports, formerly of 97.3 ESPN.com. Our buddy Michael Kasky-Blomain is our Inside the Sixers guest today on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, watch the show live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Get get the show live at 97.3 ESPN.com. There's never an off-season for the NFL. It's football at four. Play home of Flyers Hockey. We got Flyers hockey tonight on 97.3 ESPN. It's the Flyers and the Devils. Devils been a surprise. Yeah, nice little team they got right now. Flyers, not so much. Not so much. You know, how much does losing Couturier, though, hurt them? I, I think it's that. I think the decors is just bad and beat up as Gossespierre's well. Gossespierre supposed to be back tonight. Yeah, you think that helps? Do. We got defensive problems, and we're supposed to be excited about Gossespierre being in the lineup. I think they're going to pair him up with uh, Provorov. Yeah. To be think, able to score from the blue line left and right. I think to give him a little bit of confidence, maybe that's the road they go down. <laughs> but I, I'm just I'm defeated right now with this squad. All right. Uh, inside the Sixers, our Inside the Sixers guest today is from CBS Sports. He covers the Sixers, covers the NBA. You know him from 97.3 ESPN.com, formerly, I should say. He's Michael Kasky Blomain, and he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as the Sixers, an ugly one last night, MKB. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the prettiest one so far. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Um, so 
do we take anything from a loss when you don't have Joel Embiid, or is there something to be said for you lost to Detroit, a horrible team, without Joel Embiid? What does that say for the rest of what you got? Yeah, I don't think it's a great sign, Mike. I mean, I don't think it's a uh, you know a situation where you want to be overly concerned. But I, you know, personally, I'm a little bit more concerned than at least Doc seems to be. He basically. Uh, you know, kind of brushed it off last night. He said it's not on his list of concerns, uh, quote unquote, in terms of the fact that they've been, you know, unable to win a game without Joel so far. And, you know, obviously, ultimately, you know, when the postseason comes around, you're going to hope to have Joel, you know, every game. But the thing is, this is a roster that's built that should be, you know, should be able to get these wins against teams like the Grizzlies or, you know, the Heat when they're missing half of their starting lineup or the Pistons last night without uh, you know, without Joel in there. And I think there there is a level of concern that they're, you know, have not been able to have success without him so far, for sure. Yeah, and obviously he's playing at such a high level. Many people think MVP level. But I guess the question would be is when you see your, you lose, you don't have Embiid, do you start to think if you're Daryl Morey, we've got to get another piece? Like this guy's playing at such a high level. The group around him not good enough. We've got to find him someone else. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is something that, you know, is probably first and foremost on Daryl Morey's mind. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be, you know, a superstar level player or that they're actively shopping Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, obviously that was a, a situation with James Harden. When you can get a player of that caliber, maybe you consider it. But, you know, in general, I think that he's probably surveying the landscape. The Sixers still have roster space. They still have some cap space in terms of the, you know, the mid-level exception and things like that moving forward. And they have some attractive pieces now, you know, outside of Simmons when you go, you know, down the roster and you want to talk about, you know, Matisse, uh, Shake, Maxi, guys like that, and, and future draft picks that, you know, potentially could be in play if, you know, some of these other players that aren't necessarily superstars, but, you know, a, a guy that can come in and give them, 15 18 20 points a game from the perimeter uh, I think that's something that they'll definitely be you know scouring the market for between now and the trade deadline what's your thoughts on the Ben Simmons situation with the frustration boiling through the lack of scoring and is this version of Ben good enough uh no I don't think it is and I'm, I'm one that's been you know I was a pretty big Ben Simmons supporter uh, I have been a little bit disappointed with his play so far this year, and I think games like last night perfectly illustrate why people are getting upset with Ben Simmons. You know, when you have your, you know, your heavy hitter and Embiid out, you have another All Star. You know, a guy that's made the past two All Star games a first team All Defensive player. Um, you know, still on the roster, and you would like to think that in a situation like that, he has it in him, and you know, he would feel it inside of him to want to kind of step up and, and take over these games. Um, you know, much like he did his rookie year when Embiid was out and they went on a, uh, you know, that 17 game winning streak at the end of the season and it carried into the playoffs. Um, you know, that year we saw Ben really, you know, put the team on his shoulders when Joel was out. He was aggressive. And I think that's probably my biggest concern with Ben so far this season is just the lack of aggression on the offensive end. And to me, you know, it's, that's never meant shooting threes. I'm pretty still pretty indifferent about him you know, taking shots from the perimeter. To me, it's just more about him looking at the basket, looking to attack. He has, you know, such a unique combination of size, speed, and athleticism. And over the past, you know, five games, a couple weeks, there's been, you know, multiple times during the games. I've even been jotting, you know, jotting the time and the situation down at some of these times where he has, you know, a much smaller guard on him in the post or on the elbow. And, it, you know, he's just not even looking to be aggressive, not looking to take advantage of the mismatch. 
And these are the things that I think that he's going to have to do moving forward to give this team a legitimate chance. He doesn't have to be, you know, a gunner from the outside, but he ha- he does have to be a guy that's, you know, aggressive and looking to take his own shot and make things happen for himself, you know, offensively. And that's something that's been lacking so far. And I think it's fair to wonder, you know, what the deal is. What are you seeing different from Ben from last year? I mean, he's a guy that we criticized his offense last year. He was still getting 16 points. He's been about 16, 18 point a game score. He's down to about 11 to 12. So what is different? Is it, hey, they got better talent around him. He's not as aggressive. The offense is different. Doc doesn't ask him to score as much. What do you sense is different about Ben that that scoring average is, you know, it's down pretty significantly. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I think a lot of it has to be mental, Mike, because from everything I've seen, Doc has really empowered Ben. He, uh, you know, he obviously didn't come in trying to change Ben's game. He didn't come in trying to make Ben into a jump shooter. Basically, from the day that Doc was hired and he's been here, he said, you know, I'm going to give Ben the keys to the offense and let him do his thing and play the way that he feels comfortable. And, you know, with the coach giving you that kind of support, you would think that would empower a player to, you know, kind of want to take the next step. And like you just said, Mike, it's been almost the opposite. And to me, it's it it just comes down to aggression. You know, his his points are down. His field goal attempts are down. His usage rate is down. Maybe a little of that could be the fact that there's better players around the team. A guy like Shake Milton has really stepped up and is getting, you know, more opportunity with the ball in his hands. Same with Tyrese Maxey, a couple guys that, you know, in the past weren't there and now they have these other options. But to me, there's still so much for Ben um, in the flow of games to put his imprint on games like he has in the past, Mike, like you were saying. Uh, and he's just not doing it. And to me, it's it's a matter of aggression and it's a matter of mindset. You know, when you, when he wants to be aggressive, like we saw, um, you know, in the, the last game against Detroit or in the second half of that game against the Celtics last week, he's still the same. He can be the same Ben Simmons that we've seen you know, in his first three years in the league where he, he imposes his will, his physicality, he's going downhill, he's attacking the rim. He was 10 for 12 from the line in that Celtics game and it was really, or in the Pistons game rather, and he was really confident, um, you know, clearly of stepping up to the line and getting fouled and knocking down shots, but he's just not doing that consistently. And I think, you know, that's the main thing for me. I want to see consistent aggression from him on the offensive end with his size and speed and athleticism. There's no reason that he shouldn't be, you know, not only averaging similar to what he averaged the past couple of years at, you know, 16 points a game, but that, you know, that could go up to 18 and 20 without him even taking shots. I'm not talking about outside shots, just with him, you know, using his size and his, his instinct for the game and attacking the rim. I think the, the scoring should be up more there and that will only help the Sixers, you know, when he's aggressive and going downhill and getting toward the rim, that's obviously going to draw defenders in, open things up for these new guys like Seth and, and Danny and, these other guys on the perimeter, and I think I just need to see more consistent aggression from Ben on the offensive end. Yeah, Gil and I go back and forth about this all the time. If the spacing is right, and if Seth and Danny are playing so great, and Embiid dominates like he does, if Ben is playing elite defense and passing the ball beautifully like we see him do a lot of games, I don't know. Is that going to be something that can get the job done? But my concern is teams will find a way defensively in the postseason to make adjustments to make them feel uncomfortable just based off of Ben inability to shoot it. Absolutely. And we've seen that in the past, you know, where teams have kind of been able to, you know, get Ben out of a rhythm on the offensive end in the postseason, whether, you know, it was um, any of the teams, the Raptors, the Celtics a couple of years ago. And, you know, if he's not even being aggressive, it's, it's one thing if he's at least kind of looking for a shot, but if he's not even doing that on the offensive end and they're playing off him and doubling down on Embiid or getting out on the shooters, 
you know, it's almost like the Sixers are playing four on five in a, in a half court offense at times, and that's not going to get it done. You know, they've had success so far with that recipe, Brody, like you said, where, you know, Curry's hitting shots, Danny's hitting shots, and Joel's dominating. But, you know, you can't always expect that to that formula to come together. You can't always expect Joel to have to go out there and score 38, 39, 40 points against some of these teams to get a W early in the season. You need to have, you know, a more spread out attack offensively. And Ben, you know, he's that guy. He's, he's the all-star, and he's the one that people are going to look to for scoring. I don't think he needs to be you know, the second option on the team necessarily, that's not how he's built. But to me, he just, you know, he needs to look to establish himself more on the offensive end than he has so far this season. And I think that will be, you know, a, a huge factor for the team's success moving forward this season for sure. Michael Kasky Blomain, CBS Sports covers the Sixers in the NBA. So let me ask you, MKB, to get this team better, do you have to trade Ben Simmons or trade lesser pieces and just get a secondary player or a tertiary player, really. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what how you get the team better without trading Ben Simmons, unless you think of a way that you can get the team better by not trading Ben Simmons. I, I think you can get the team better by trading Ben and Mike, and I'm still I'm still in the camp of you know barring a, a trade that would be a home run. Like I understand the argument to James Harden, maybe a guy like Bradley Beal. But outside of that, I'm still firmly in the camp that, you you know, you don't trade Ben Simmons yet. I think there would be a lot of, uh, you know, unforeseen things that would happen in terms of the Sixers on the court when you trade Ben that maybe wouldn't jump out right away. He's still, you know, obviously his defense speaks for itself and what he's able to do on that end. And still the amount of, you know, open looks and assist opportunities that he generates for other guys on this team. It's huge. And he's a big you know, a big key to their offense and what they're able to do. So I do think if you trade him away, you know, not only are you losing a, a great defender, but you're also kind of losing, you know, who's going to be the guy that sets the table for everyone that, that generates these open looks that, you know, gets Seth the wide open looks that can hit Danny in transition when he goes into the corner. Uh, I think Ben does so many things for this team that it's easy to obviously harp on the offense as we've all done. But to me, I, I think a, a quicker way to improve the team would be to look at, you know, a lesser guy, uh, you know, for instance, Buddy Heald obviously has been a name that's been thrown around. Zach Levine in Chicago, a guy like that where you wouldn't necessarily have to maybe trade, you know, one of your top two players and Ben or Joel. Uh, maybe you could get a deal done with some of the younger pieces and future draft picks, uh, things like that, where you get another guy that's in here capable of scoring 20, maybe even 30 on a given night. But you still keep, you know, the playmaking and the defense that Ben provides. To me, that's probably the the quickest solution of how you could improve the team, but also, you know, still hold on to Ben and all that he brings to the floor. I look at Daryl Morey's trade to get rid of Al Horford's contract. He brings back Danny Green and Ferguson's money. So how much of this is us needing to realize that patience is key? You know, you don't fix those issues from last year with just one Al Horford trade. And when those money, that money comes off the books, that gives Daryl Morey some freedom to maybe add that next player that we're kind of waiting for right now this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that one trade has done wonders for the Sixers. But like you said, Brody, you can't expect, you know, from how disappointing and how disjointed that team looked last year, you can't necessarily expect one trade to come in and all of a sudden they turn around and they're championship contenders. I do think it's a situation where, you know, both Maury and Doc are still getting a feel for this team, uh, you know, less than 20 games in total on the season, a whole new coaching staff, obviously the new regime in the front office and, you know, a new new rotation pretty much two different starters a whole different bench team so i think it's a situation where you know the harden situation was you know at the doorstep so they had to kind of consider it obviously it was going to happen you know some team was going to trade for him 
they had to do their due diligence. But I, I really do think that they're not, you know, sh- out there shopping Ben or looking to necessarily shake things up in a major way right now for this team. I think they want to see, you know, what they have in terms of the pieces that they, they've put in place and then potentially complement those guys, you know, moving forward with, with trades and things leading up to the deadline. But they've been, you know, pretty adamant, Doc and, and Daryl, that is, that they like, you know, the pieces that they have in place. And I do, you know, I do believe them when they say that. Obviously, they're always going to, you know, evaluate options when they become available, like the Harden trade. But in the short term and moving forward, I think that they they have good pieces in place and they can make a couple moves to, you know, solidify the team around Ben and, and Joel. And, you know, the East is pretty open this year. Obviously, there's the, the Nets look good, but they're not, you know, invincible, especially on the defensive end. The Bucks are still the Bucks. So to me, the Sixers look pretty formidable to, to start the season. I don't think it's panic time, um, you know, to make a move unless something, you know, re- a really good offer presents itself to you. Well, well, and MKB, I think one of the questions is, and I don't know if we found this out last night or if it's something we're learning, is guys like Milton and Maxie, like, you can't count on them in big moments. Like, they're nice players. They have skill. They've been nice surprises. But you need them in a game five on the road somewhere against, you know, Boston or Milwaukee, Miami. I don't know that I can count on those guys. I got to get an upgrade from those guys, at least for this year. They might help me two, three years down the road, but not not this year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Mike. And I think that kind of goes back to what I was just saying. If you could get, you know, a guy that's a high-level player, like, you know, I'll keep using the Buddy Heald example just because that's a name that seems to keep popping up. You know, a guy like that, that, you know, can step in and give you that perimeter production where you can kind of trust them there a little bit more you know, seasoned and a little bit more experienced where a guy like Maxi, you know, he's obviously shown the highs, but he's also had some struggles in recent times, which is to be expected, you know, for a rookie. And the same thing with, uh, you know, Milton, who obviously looks a little bit more poised at this point in his career, but he still, you know, has far less than 100 games under his belt. He's only in his second season playing here. So, you know, to expect these guys to consistently step up every night, that's just, you know, it, it doesn't happen a lot of times. It takes, you know, a couple seasons, some bumps and bruises along the way for guys to get comfortable. And the Sixers have, you know, like you said, Mike, these guys are going to be valuable moving forward. But in the short term, you know, for this season with an open title window, yeah, it, it's tough to depend on them. And I think they would, you know, certainly benefit from bringing in another guy that can, you know, do what they do, but a slightly more consistent and reliable level. What stands out to you the most about Tobias Harris this year? Uh, I think just the confidence and the aggression he's playing with. I I think that Doc really, uh, you know, when he came in, he said that he wanted to kind of just unlock Tobias, get him to stop thinking so much and being in his own head. And it really seems like that's kind of, you know, that manifested on the floor. He's shooting the threes without hesitation, knocking him down at, you know, well over 40% clip. He's attacking the rim uh, with decisiveness. And, you know, that's, that's the player that Tobias could be. And I think that, you know, that's what Sixers fans were kind of hoping for, obviously, when he was signed. It's still, you know, the contract is is the contract. It's never going to be a, a great deal. They overpaid for him, certainly. But at least this year, he's he's really playing to the best of his abilities. And I think it's mainly just, you know, the Doc, he feels a little bit, uh, you know, more at ease, I guess, with Doc as his coach and the way things are laid out for the team. It's, it's a little bit more easy for, you know, him to know his role, know what's expected of him. And just to come out and not think and, and be a fly and, and, you know, take the bun, you know, really well with that so far this season. Have you, you've been around this team for the last couple of years. We've seen what they were. Have you altered your expectations for what you think this team can be? I mean, they were a six seed last year, got swept in the first round. I think coming into the year, most people thought, 
I don't know. Did they get any better? Are they any more than a six, five, four seed? Are they better than that in your opinion after what you've seen so far? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And to me, them, you know, the way they performed last year was a bit of an anomaly. Obviously, the sweep in the playoffs came without Ben Simmons, who I'm not saying that they would have won the series if Ben was playing, but certainly he could have, you know, helped them, especially defensively, guarding some of those guys. Really weird year last year, obviously, with the pause and then the bubble and the fact that they were, you know, they were so dominant at home. Like every single team that came in there last year would lose the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, you know, whoever came to Philly lost. It was the fact that they were just so inconsistent on the road. And I think that was, you know, a little bit of an aberration. I think the team that they were two years ago when they lost to the Raptors uh, in the second round in seven games and the year before when they got to the second round and lost to the Celtics, I think that was a little bit closer to, you know, the realistic team that the Sixers are with Ben and Joel and, and pieces around them. And this year, with the way that the East is constructed, um, you know, like I said, there's not to me there's not a, a bona fide favorite on paper. Probably you would say the Nets after the Harden trade, but to me, you know, the, it's it's open. I think the Sixers will finish in the top four uh, in the conference this year. Maybe they won't hold on to the top seed like they're in now, but I think they'll have you know home court in the first round like they have in the past, and they have you know depending on what other moves they make, and as long as Joel can stay healthy. You know, I think this is a team, you know, right now that could contend to, you know, conference finals, maybe even get to the finals. But maybe to be a, you know, a championship team, I think some more tweaks, um, you know, still need to be made to the roster. I guess, uh, and somebody qu- uh, put a comment up uh, up on the screen. It says we won't be able to defend Durant, Harden, Giannis, those type of players without Ben Simmons on the team. So, in the end, do you sacrifice Ben Simmons' defense and all the intangibles he brings? to get a better offensive player. I guess that's something they need to make a decision on as well. Yeah, and to me, I, I really don't think you do unless, like I said, you know, if, if they did it for Harden, that's it's understandable. We're talking about an all-time elite-level scorer. Same with Bradley Beal, a guy that's, you know, top two, top three in the league and scoring year in, year out that would really, you know, complement Joel and the rest of the guys on the team really well. But other than that, I think one of the the things that the Sixers do have going for them against a team like the Nets or you know the Lakers or or the Bucks that they do have a lot of options on the defensive end to throw at some of these guys and it starts with Ben of course obviously you have Matisse um, you know Danny Green is a solid perimeter perimeter defender you just have options that you could throw at some of these guys and like I said that starts with Ben and his versatility uh, defensively has been on display all year he can go from guarding Kemba Walker in one series to guarding Jeremy Grant in the next series um, you know things like that so I, I do think that's what I kind of what I was saying earlier that there's you know there's obviously issues with Ben's game still but he does bring so much to the team on both ends of the floor that you know, removing him without putting in, you know, a very, very high level scorer, I think would, would be detrimental to, you know, what the Sixers do on both ends of the floor. All right. Uh, inside the Sixers, they lose last night. They're back tomorrow right here on 97.3 ESPN. Take it on the Lakers, LeBron and the Lakers in the house. You think Embiid plays tomorrow night? Yeah, I would imagine so, Mike. I think a lot of these rests are, you know, precautionary, trying to get him, you know, time off throughout the season so he's ready to go but i would imagine you know a big game like that against the lakers joel gets up for those i I think he'll be ready to go all right uh and then of course they're back on uh friday and saturday we have all those games right here on 97.3 espn actually friday and sunday they're off on saturday uh and michael caskey blow main like all guests appeared via the boardwalk honda hotline good to see you mkb that's a nice beard you got going there it hasn't been shaved in a year wow a whole year yeah, it's since uh, well, it's March. Whenever the the lockdown began last year, it was that was my my move. I was like, all right, I'm let letting it flow. 
It looks yeah, good. I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. Thomas country. Thanks. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. Good talking to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, Michael Cassie Blow Main, CBS Sports. Looks good. I like the I like I can't do a beard like that. I can't like his is like long. Yeah, yeah. Like a uh, like I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings. Like those long, like yeah. old. Yeah, I like that. I can't like the do Amish that either. Guy. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't either. Mine just it starts to go out like sideways. You you should do it and see what happens. I've tried. Like, yeah, but for the people, I mean, we got to give the people what they want. If people are going to start commenting in, which I'm just giving you the nod nod right now, people that they want to see this, you got to give the people what they want. We started the show with that. I said I've tried. I can't do it. It won't It won't do what his does. No, we don't want it to do what he does. We want it to do what it does, and we just want to poke fun at you when it gets to an ugly look. Gotcha. That's, that's all. That's the key, right? Yes. Make fun of you. <laughs> Sports Bash Live, <laughs> 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, uh, coming up at 4 o'clock, Andrew DeCecco, football at 4. Some Eagles stuff. I want to get into the draft with DeCecco, talk a little bit, uh, pick his brain on the draft. I know he's been working on the draft pretty much all all, uh, all season long. Uh, is Essentially, uh, he's in draft mode. But I started to work on the draft and thought about a couple things. So I do want to throw a couple of draft questions out there for the people and get uh, people's thoughts on that. You can, of course, watch the show live, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. A lot of people watch it on the YouTube channel. You can get over there and check us out. And, of course, uh, PT, today, Tuesday with Thompson. What's wrong with the Flyers? We got all that coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's Sixers basketball tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play-by-play action. Ed Harris knocks it down with a right-hand jab. Timeout, Los Angeles, and he is fired up. The Sixers host LeBron and the Lakers. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Philadelphia 76ers basketball on your radio home of the Sixers in South Jersey, 97.3 ESPN. Kendall Auto Plaza offers the area's best car and truck buying experience with 60 years of customer satisfaction and community service. What's on their free mobile app on youtube facebook and twitter you can watch the show live the phillies have signed jt real muto five years 115 million dollars so he's back with the phillies i mean it's nice to have jt back it would kind of be like but it's deflating to know that i don't know that he adds much in terms of competitiveness of where you were and where you are now I agree with you. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. We'll see what they do at shortstop. But even then, you know, you add your shortstop, whether it's DD, whether it's Simmons, you're in the same boat, right? You bring back DD and give the you got the same team as you have added not one everyday player. You got the same. Where have they made a change in the everyday lineup? They have not. Not one. Nope, not one. I mean, they're literally rolling with Hoskins, and you don't even know if he's healthy and ready to play. Kingery. And no DH this year is going to mess with that. I mean, that whole thing last year with, you know, maybe you play Bowman first and then you have Reese play DH. Like, you can't do that anymore this year. Right, because now who's the guy who sits out? Somebody's sitting out every day. One of those guys is sitting out every day, whether it be Kingery. And I know a lot of people say it's got to be Kingery. Okay, Kingery is a guy that they have expectations for. 
So maybe he's the guy and Segura plays second base. If Kingery plays, Segura's out. If Segura plays, bombs, Bohm's out. If Bohm's out, uh, plays, Hoskins is Somebody's not playing. So the DH being out does hurt them, even though I hate the DH. Uh, the outfield's McCutcheon, the two same center fielders in uh, Harper. I honestly feel that I'd rather put Scott Kingery in center field every day so you can have him out there over Quinn and Hazley, and then you have your Gene Segura playing second base. It's an base. option. Yeah. I don't think I they don't would do it. it, but I, I I would rather that. I don't hate that option and play Kingery in center, have him be your everyday center fielder, and then the other two guys are kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Hastley's plays left here and there. Yeah, he'll he'll start when there's a matchup that they favor because they never get a chance to bat against any lefty. So if there's a righty starter, maybe you throw him out there to give him a day. You know, I, I don't know though. I don't I don't know what they're going to do. But the contract breakdown is out there. You mentioned the deferred money. 2021 is only a 10 million dollar hit with 10 million deferred. And then the rest is about 24 million. Well, there's a lot of interesting quirks in this contract that we're finding out. Apparently he's deferring a lot of money because of the pandemic. Right. So that the Phillies don't have to pay him up front, the average value of the contract. He's deferring that to the back end because of the, the pandemic. Only There's not enough later. money coming in for them to say, Hey, that's a pretty creative uh, idea. You you don't see that happen too much. Yeah. So the $10 million deferred for the first year of the contract goes to the two years. that So he won't be playing for the Phillies in 26 or 27, but he's going to be getting paid $10 million for, for you know this contract, so you're just going to pay him when he's not playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know I don't hate it though. I think it works out fine for both parties. I, you know, when I say that, it's almost I, I feel that if there is going to be a quote loser in this, it's got to be JT just based off of him hitting free agency this year when all this happens. If this is a normal season, he's getting significantly way more money than this, so he's taking the hit. Probably, but I don't think teams wanted to pay a catcher if they if the year was normal. I think more teams would have bit on JT, though. I think I, I agree with you. They statistically and historically don't put as much value in there. But if there was a normal year, all the fans, all the money coming in, I bet you more teams are are intrigued than what we have now. Uh, maybe except for the money aspect, though. Like, I don't think anybody wanted to pay a catcher $150 million over a six, five- or six-year span. Well, you remember his agent was coming out saying they wanted $200 million. Now, we all knew that was ludicrous, but we figured, okay, where would it fall in between 110 and 200 Look, I didn't think it would be this close to 110 I hate to bring Ben Simmons into this mix, but in the event that JT starts to struggle, he still is also the best defensive catcher. I mean, he wipes out runs left and right by throwing guys out. I don't know how long that pop time is going to be what it is, but he's still, he's the best offensive catcher. He's the best defensive catcher. Now, how long are you getting a leadoff? I say elite offense, elite offense for his position. He's not an elite offensive player. He's a good offensive player. But I think the fact that he plays catcher elevates our thoughts on how good of an offensive player he is when realistically he's just an average offensive player. Yeah, I I'd say a, uh, he's a little bit above that. I wouldn't say he's actually above average. Yeah. I'm okay with you. He's you can nudge me to above average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's where he thought. But, he, but look, you're seriously, right. Seriously, he's look, I, I might be a little old school with the batting average stuff, and I get that. Like, he's a 265 hitter, which is not great, it's average. He's got some pop for the catching position. He had 11 home runs last year, which in a 60-game season, it's good. So he he gives you pop behind the plate. He's an average. His batting average is an is average, uh, but he he's a run producer. Like I'm not sitting here saying he stinks by any stretch. 
He's an above-average player who just got mega dollars. Yeah, there's no doubt that he is overvalued based off of the position that he plays. Like His production offensively, I should say, gets this praise and this love based off of his position. If he was a center fielder, you're not jumping up going crazy, insanely woohooing for this guy. He's just a nice guy. Dude, but you because just gave he someone hundred-plus million dollars. Like, that guy, to me, has to be... Well, think about it. George Dude. Springer just got five years, 150, right? Or six years, 150. Mm -hmm. Put that in perspective on what you're getting out of JT. Does that match? Probably not. No, of course not. George, Probably uh, not. Springer is... Springer's a stud. Yeah. JT's very good. I mean, look, if he doesn't play the position that he plays, he ain't a hunter. Well, just to be fair, uh, George Springer's hitting 265, and he's an average 270 guy. So, I mean, that comes into how much you value the, the bad other What's elements. George Springer's? George 14 last year in the shortened season. Mm -hmm. uh, 39 the year before. 22-14-20. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you know, last year he had 265. He's an average 270 guy. It's, you know, it's a, it's another thing where just the average these days don't pop as much as they used to. You don't see it as high as you once did because of, you know, the home run hitting and things yeah. of that nature. Now, the Joe Show, uh, watching on YouTube, says Hoskins average around 239 the past four years. I think Hoskins, this is it. Man. I have low expectations for Reese Hoskins. Yep. That rookie year, he hit 18 homers in 50 games. And other look, he's had good power numbers. I hate where they hit him. I hate hitting him in the two hole. Oh, I hated that too last year. I hated it. His on base percentage is decent. That's because he walks. That's why he walks. But if your expectation of him is walking, it's bad. It's unacceptable. He brings too much to the table for you to be satisfied with him just walking. Yeah, I think if they could, if look, if he was healthy, he went. He had Tommy John. I think if he was healthy, they may have tried harder to move him this offseason. And look, he's probably a trade candidate for in-season. But they need more from Hoskins. If this team's going to surprise somebody and make a run to a playoff berth for the first time since 2011, they need way more from Reese Hoskins. And they need $110 million production from JT Real Buto, not $50 million production. Football at four next. It's Philadelphia Flyers hockey tonight on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the play-by-play -play action. What a save by Carter Hart. The Flyers are in Jersey to face the Devils. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. It's Philadelphia Flyers hockey on the radio home of the Flyers in South Jersey. 97.3 ESPN.